Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger, and I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart, and Then Go Save the World. My book is all about helping people love and be loved more than ever. I believe we all have a superhero of love inside of us. Yes, even you, superhero. And in this podcast, I talk to people who are all about helping us all tap into that superhero. May this episode make a difference for your heart. Let's get this party started. All right. Welcome, superheroes of love. We are here. This is the first interview of 2020 with a very special guest, Christina Dunbar, who is a true superhero of love. She is a storyteller, a director, a producer of women's stories for stage and film. She's the star of the one woman show, Dirty Me Divine. She's the founder of Red, a circle of performing artists and creator of She Takes the Stage, which is unbelievable, which I happened to see magically, wonderfully, yay. She is such, it was clear from that work and how she led the women who were involved with that, she takes the stage, including herself. It was clear that she was on a journey of healing her own heart and also helping others heal their hearts. She is committed you can feel it. You're going to feel by the end of this, you're going to be so inspired to work with her, I'm sure, um, because she is committed to all of us having healed hearts and for all of us um, having our stories be told. And in 2019 and in 2018, also, this became a new passion of my own to have everyone feel like their story was just as valuable as anybody's story and having us tell our stories like we did in in the event that I produced in November of 2018, Love Forward Talks, which there will be more Love Forward Talks in the future. The stories that were told, everyone left touched and changed in some way by hearing those stories. And that is what Christina is about with all of her events. Welcome, Christina. Hi, happy new year. Happy Happy new year, everyone listening. Happy new year. So Christina, first, I guess I was going to start with the show that I saw you in and the, the piece that you did on smiling, which was so incredible. But before we, we, I have you, let's let, we will talk about that. But before we do that, I just, it just clicked into my brain that really what I should ask you first is how you got to this place of telling telling stories like that one. And then we can go in and talk about that specific one, which was so inspiring. So how did you come to this place in your life where you are a doula of stories? Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, my story for so long was that I actually wasn't allowed to tell my story and shouldn't speak up and shouldn't use my voice. And I kind of feel like I was that since I was a little girl, like I felt like I didn't belong. I felt strange. I was sensitive. I thought about death. I thought about life. I thought about the meaning of it all. Um, I was Russian. My parents came here when I was a little girl. And so I didn't speak English at first. And that made me feel a little bit strange as well. Like I couldn't quite fit into the rhythm of this culture. And so I, I kind of say I was, I felt like an alien growing up and I was really into ballet. That was my safe space. I didn't have to talk. I didn't have to use my voice. I didn't have to know the language. I could just move 
and dance and be free. But when I was 16 years old, I literally overnight grew breasts. Like they just popped up and that wasn't okay for the ballet world. You're supposed to be really thin and frail and just not curvy. And so I had this real like identity crisis, the place where I felt the safest, I didn't feel safe anymore. And that shut my voice down even more because again, I was like, well, where do I belong now? And I've put all this energy into the dance world. And uh, what ended up happening was I actually ended up leaving my hometown of Seattle, Washington and moving to Hollywood to pursue acting, which yes, I had to use my voice, but I could hide behind characters. Mm. And um, there's a whole story around me living in LA. I ran out of money and I started stripping and I became a stripper, which further created more shame, more silencing, more feeling like I was wrong. Like I wasn't the good girl. Like I, like, again, this, this crisis of who am I really? And being in the stripper world and not having a voice as a woman was really dangerous. I got into some sticky situations and I just felt all the shame. And yet, and yet there was this spark of like, I want to use my voice somehow. I want to talk about these stories of not belonging. I want to talk about the shame I have around dancing. I want to talk about my sexuality and my body and all the things that I feel. And storytelling was always a love of mine, even though it was in the form of dance originally, that is a way to storytell. And for me, it was never about the discipline of ballet. It was about telling the story of the dance I was dancing. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I knew I wanted to keep telling stories in some shape or form and being on stage scared the shit out of me. I, like I was so terrified of public speaking and terrified of being seen. And I was like, okay, this, this is scary and I'm going to do it. And, you know, the catalyst for that really was, my father, who was my best friend, mm. who was a total rebel, who was a big Joseph Campbell fan, was all about the heroine's journey, the hero's journey, was all about me being a leader. He passed away um, of leukemia. And that was in my late 20s. And it was, it was the catalyst for, okay, let's do this. Let's face my fear of mm. speaking. Um, and let's tell some stories and let's get on the stage. And that's how I started after my dad died. <laughs> so the tragedy of that gave you, gave you the guts to go and dive deep inside and bring those stories out in a different way. Yeah, it was the, the really visceral, like, it hit me in my gut that life is so precious Mm. and you know, that doesn't have to come through death. It can come through reading a poem. It can come through just um, having those sacred moments with spirit. It can come through looking at the moon. It can come through so many ways. It can come through listening to music that inspires you. But, but mine was, it was, it was my father's death. And it was like this, his voice was in my head, like do the things that you're afraid of step up, step out. And I, I, in a way I did it for him as well. Wow. I, you know, what just came to me was how vulnerable storytelling is 
And sometimes it has to be something that kind of opens up our heart and we are in a vulnerable place before we can say, oh, here I am. It's almost like I'm vulnerable here. I'm cut to the quick already. I might as well dive a little bit deeper in this. There's something about storytelling that is like diving. I just thought this image of like diving in into with your hands into this gooey heart and pulling out like all this really cool stuff, jewels, right? Yeah. And like, here are these jewels I want to share with you. And my heart is open. So I'm actually seeing those jewels. So let's go in together and let me show them to you. Mm. I love that it was, it was your father's death. I lost my, my dad. I think around the same time that you did, although I'm much older than you, but in two, 2009, my dad passed away. Thing about, um, first of all, losing a dad that you're close to, obviously. I was close to my dad too, and it's like this, mm. but there's something about the vulnerability around death that is, it's such a pressure. Like that would be a great workshop, right? People that have just recently experienced death or experienced death in a last, in the last year. Let's, let's, let's do some stories around that. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, I think, you know, I think when we go through a crisis and there's a book about this broken open, I think, mm -hmm. I but like, we're so everything that we thought we knew is kind of shattered and right. we're so tender that it's easier to connect to our desires, our hearts calling, our hearts longing, because we don't have all the stuff in the way. We're so cracked open. And so what you're saying about death and being vulnerable and being able to go in and pull out from that is, yeah, I think that is such an opening for, for people, for humans. Wow. So yeah, it's like every tragedy there's, there's a miracle. And for you, the, the, mir the mi tragedy of losing your, your father so young, the miracle around that is that you can, you're now helping other people reach into their hearts and become vulnerable and tell their stories. Uh, let's talk about, she, she taught, she takes the stage, which is the show that I saw. And I, you did that piece on smiling. That was so fantastic. Let's talk about that piece because um, I just find it's so inspiring. Like I told, um, after the show, you guys, I told Christina she should write an article and get it in some big magazine because it's a story that I think, you know, millions of people should see, not just hundreds when you went, that you hit on the stage, you know? So, um, so tell us about the, that story on smiling that you did. Yeah, it's such an age old story. I think it's a story that I've been dissecting for a long time in my own life. And Again, when I was young, I didn't get to share this earlier, but have this very strong sort of Russian Jewish mother that is very traditional. And then my father, who's, like I said, a little bit more rebellious and um, also suffered from manic, uh, bipolar and manic depressive. So a lot there, but, but um, you know, really like having those two different influences in my life and wanting to smile and wanting to please and wanting to please the Russian Jewish community and wanting to live that good girl life. And even when I got into dancing and stripping, people are like, oh, it's so, it's so bad and it's so naughty, but yet you're still in an environment where you have to please the man, right? Mm -hmm. To make the money. And, and so much of my soul was being sold in that, in that environment, but really it was such an example of my whole life as well. Like it wasn't just doing it in that world. 
I had been taught to smile, to smile, to smile, to please, to be perfect. Like so many women out there, I think, can relate to that and the, the ways that we conform and the ways that we play our dreams and desires down and the ways that we shut down our voice and what we truly want to say because we're afraid we might offend somebody or that we might hurt somebody or, you know, there's all of these things that we do that eventually just dilute and dilute and dilute our soul's truth. And so I've been playing that game for a long time. And that piece about smiling was, was one expression of that. I've talked about it in, in poems. I've talked about it in, in this monologue that I did, but it's something I'm really just fascinated by and the subtle ways that we smile. It's not always obvious, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So that piece was an expression of like the amount of times that I've smiled in my life when I really wanted to do something else, when I wanted to cry, when I wanted to scream, when I wanted to be like, fuck you, when I wanted to um, stand up for my voice and stand up for my boundaries and stand up for my body with like boys that were touching me inappropriately. Like there's just so many stories of the smile. Yeah. Yeah. The smile as a mask really. And it's like, I, I will never forget. I, I know that most women, if not all women, at some point have been told to smile by a man, yeah. right? And I will never forget the last time it happened. And it's funny that that was the last time it happened. It was almost like I was saying to God, that's not okay. And that never needs to happen again or something. Because uh, the guy, I was walking my dogs and and he, in a very jovial way, he was so innocent, but he just wanted me to conform to what he wanted me to look like right then. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually don't even remember vividly what I said, but it was something to the, I, I said, I, w- I was listening to something and I was concentrating on it. And I said, I'm actually just concentrating on something. I'm not, I'm not, not smiling you know, yes. in, inside or outside. Right. But it's, you know, women get that for any men that are listening, just FYI, if you haven't heard it from women, we get it all the time. The smile, you know, smile, we want you to smile, like, like, like they're taking a picture of you. And, and they say it with that same tone, right? Like, yes. smile, like they're about to snap a picture of you. I want the picture that I snap of you in my brain right now, even though you're a complete and total stranger, to conform to my idea of what that picture should be, which is you smiling. <laughs> Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. And I for so long could not say that, but fuck you. Right. You. Right. Fuck you. Yeah. And with, I had never thought about that with stripping that you really, you have to be, that's part of the thing, right? Is that you never say anything. I I, (laughs) like, it never clicked in my brain that, that you don't have a voice until you said it. I mean, obviously it's super, super obvious, but you don't, so it's a right. Yeah, I it's do. It's like you're gagged. You're so gagged and you're, but it's part of the game I think we play in, in, in um, you know, in many areas of our lives. I talk about in my show, my one woman show, which I talk a lot about stripping. Yes, your one um, woman show, which is called Dirty Me Divine, which I haven't seen. So yeah, tell us about that. Uh, well, I talk about sort of the sacred prostitute, was, which is a Carolyn Mace term. It's an archetype. It's an energy of, of, when we, um, when we were giving a part of ourselves in return for, in return for some form of, we want some form of security, right? Like you're giving away a piece of yourself. It doesn't have to be necessarily sexually, but you're giving away a, a, a piece of, 
you're giving a piece of your soul away, you're giving away your no, you're giving away your boundaries in return for, in return of um, money, security, uh, prestige, right? Like there's all these ways that we can play into that prostitute archetype. And I, I played that yes in the stripper world but i also played it in other areas of my life and and i think the dance world was such an interesting place to um grapple with all of that and who i was being not only there but out in the world who i was being how i was giving my power away how i was giving my dreams away because i didn't believe in myself back to the shame piece when you hold so much shame around who you are you feel like you just don't have the right to speak up. You don't have the right to take action on your dreams. You don't believe in yourself. Um, so that prostitute archetype was played out in a lot of a lot of different ways. Something you just said is so important. I feel like one of the gifts of storytelling is that it does take away the shame. Yeah. When you're listening, like the one thing that, like from the Love Forward Talks event that I did. Um, in 2018, all different stories, right? A transgender story, a um, shaman talking about losing her mother and helping birth her mother through that death. And just, a, you know, a gamut of, of stories were told that day. And there wasn't anybody in the room that could, that could um, uh, you know, contextually relate exactly to them but we all related to them right yes. like everybody in the room related to everybody in some yes. way right yes. and that's the glory of storytelling right is that you go oh my god i have that in me too i have that in me too i yes. have that in me too yes. and that we we are all so profoundly fucked up and we are all so profoundly divine and we are all so profoundly perfect right that's it that's it and everyone everyone listening you all have a story. I believe that everybody's story matters. Um, I believe that stories do heal. I believe we need, not only need, I believe we're at a time where storytelling is essential. Um, it's because we're awakening souls. Like our, the soul part of life is so dead in our culture and we're trying to fix things from a very mental strategic place and yet we're not feeling connected to our hearts and to our intuition and to each other and to community and to togetherness. And so storytelling brings all of that alive. It allows us to commune, to connect, to open our hearts, to work together, to see that we're not so alone. Exactly what you were saying about you might not relate to the details of someone's story, but when someone is brave enough to get vulnerable and show you their heart, you can't help but like melt and, and, and connect and feel their humanity. And, and so it's, I think we need it right now. We're hungry for it. <laughs> I think we are too, right? Yeah. yeah. We're kind of starving. Like we've been undernourished. Exactly. We've been so undernourished and we're living in this very fast time. And as everybody knows, like social media and perfection and just the whole Instagram craze. And I use Instagram and I love it, but I also know that it can get, um, you know, it can, it can create isolation. It can create comparison. It can create a feeling of not enoughness. Mm -hmm. And so storytelling and being together in community is one way to 
to just remind one another that we're, we're not, we're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. Right. And I am you. And, and I am you. Right. I am you just in a different form here. Right. We are just these big giant hearts bumping up against each other. And we've all had pieces of our hearts that have been stabbed or poked or etched away or right and we all have our shit that's the thing like you see somebody that looks like they have the perfect life and you don't know that they struggle with depression or anxiety or extreme self-doubt or heartbreak or loneliness and i think that is something i just want to keep reminding everyone of is we so many of us struggle i'll speak for myself i I struggle with anxiety in the mornings. I wake up and I have anxiety and I've talked about this and I've talked about the ways that I, you know, I work with it, but if I don't talk about it, people don't know. Right. And Mm -hmm. if if people don't know, people can assume that person gets to do that thing. That person gets to storytell because they're confident, they're courageous. They have their shit together. And it's like, "Eh, but I really don't. (laughs) I bump up against the same stuff that so much of our, our culture does. That's right? so great. That's so great that you said it that way, that they get to, right? Like that they get to be on stage. Like um, one of my friends, Leanne Wood, who's an amazing writer herself, and she helped me produce the Love Forward Talks event. And she said, when she was looking around the room, she said, in the audience, she said, everybody in that room felt like they deserved to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, And I have to put a caveat on this because I only had a seven week window. I came up with the idea and seven weeks later we opened, right? So it was a really short timeline, but she made a really, really good criticism of the event, which was now given those time parameters, it, you know, it wasn't really a criticism. It was just a note, but a really important note. She said, everybody in that audience felt like they deserve to be there. And there are populations that don't feel like they deserve to even be in that audience, let alone on that stage, which is why another passion of mine is taking the storytelling to, you know, underserved populations, you know, like halfway houses and, and prisons and, you know, like every single person's story has the ability to touch someone else. And that, and this, this thing though about vulnerability, um, you know, it's, 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 it's something right to like when you're up on the stage and when you're, when your women are on the stage, I mean, you've, you've worked together, you've led up to this point of being on the stage. So there's a process, a beginning, a middle and an end, the end point being you guys on stage, but the, they have to dive deep into their hearts to, right? Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how you deal with vulnerability and given what you just said too, of that it's, it's not necess- doesn't come na- naturally to any of us, right? Yeah. And I think, I think you have to have sort of a little bit of a longing or a calling to want to be that way in the world because it's, it's not for everyone. And I know vulnerability is kind of like a buzzword these days. And so people are putting on vulnerability, but they actually are doing it for the prostitute reason to get something in return. Right. So I think you have to not do it because it's the cool thing to do. But for me and for the women that go through these programs and get on stage, they really, their soul is here to share from the heart and, and they are afraid of that, but they also know it they feel it. They don't want to hide. They don't want to put on a mask. 
and they want to tell their personal stories. They, they want to. And so there has to be that desire first, right? Um, and, and the way we work with vulnerability, well, we have all sorts of tools, but I think the most important thing is that creating safety and, mm-hmm. and creating agreements around what is first told just in our circle before you go up on a stage or go more public. For instance, me talking about stripping was not something I wanted to share publicly at all at first, Um, but there was such a deeper message around me dancing that, and there was so much pain around that story. And I remember one day driving to Vegas because I used to drive to Vegas to dance because that's where all the cash is. And so I would drive to Vegas and I just remember having this real, like this spiritual sort of breakdown. I was crying in the car and I remember thinking, this story isn't just for me. All of this pain and the shame and this hiding. And because I, I did have moments where I just wanted to end my life. I was so unhappy, oh, wow. so unhappy. And, but I didn't, I didn't see a way out. I didn't see a way out of the lifestyle I had created. I didn't see a way, I didn't see another way to make money. And, and I just broke down in the car and I remember thinking, I'm going to tell this story and it's going to touch someone. Wow. And it started with that, that seed and that spark. And then I told my best friend first, right? When you talk about vulnerability and sharing big things, starting in smaller circles is really important. So I got vulnerable with my best friend, someone I knew would be able to see me and love me and be like, you're fucking badass. Who cares? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, so I started with her and then I started with groups of intimate friends and then I started blogging about it and I got to a place, I think this is really important for those of you listening that want to tell more of your stories. I got to a place where I, I did the inner work of healing my wound around feeling like I was somehow a whore or a slut or wrong or bad for dancing. And it got to this place of real peace around it before I went on the stage and started sharing publicly. And that was important because not long after I shared, of course, I get a Facebook comment from another woman telling me that I am a whore, that I am this, that I am that, that I am X, Y, Z, and really tearing me down. And if I wasn't in that place of a certain amount of strength, that could have stopped all of my momentum around that story. So I think doing the work around vulnerability starts with sharing in safe spaces before you go public and, and trusting yourself and knowing when you're in a place of like, okay, I feel healed enough. I've done therapy with this. I've talked to my sisters. I've done enough inner work to where if someone rejects me or rejects the story, it might take me down for a day. I might cry. I might call my friends to give me love, but I'm not going to be like, fuck this. I'm starting over. I'm not doing this. It's not worth it. Right. So, right. right. Yeah. I think another point is sometimes the story only needs to be told to one person or one group of people. Like, thank you. Yes. It may be that that's your freedom and that's, that's what will take away the shame and it doesn't have to be professionally done. It can even be like, you can say to 10 friends or five friends or three friends, let's get together and tell stories or something, you know, and maybe it's, it grows in vulnerability over time once that safety net is, is in place. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I think, 
you need to know your intention as well. Are you telling the story for healing? Are you telling the story because you want to be a speaker and a storyteller? Are you telling the story because eventually you want to use it as your message and your purpose? Um, and I knew that this was part of my purpose and I, I wanted to touch and I knew that I wanted to be on many, many stages, but what you're saying is so true in terms of healing. We can be in a circle of loving women and share our truth and it does heal shame. You know, Brene Brown talks about that all the time around um, the thing that heals shame and lets you know, the stigma sort of withers as we speak our truth in places right. that can see us and hear us. Yeah. The, the, uh, the phrase just popped into my head, true confessions, you know, cause we've all had, we've probably all had, I guess I shouldn't say we've all had, but most of us have had somebody confess something to us, right? Yes. Just so that's just another way of storytelling. This is a story that's inside me that hurts my heart right now. And I need to bring it out so that it doesn't, it's not in the shadows, in the dark, hurting me. If I bring it out into the light, just bringing it out into the light with you, your mm -hmm. light shining on it, my light shining on it. Maybe we can, maybe we can, um, I don't know why that moved me so much, yeah. but yeah, it's like just even one other pair of eyes is, is light shining on your story. Yeah. And then it's no longer in the shadows. And it's like, That's there's right. so much freedom. And, and no matter how painful or awful the story is, one of the things that I remember um, thinking about in, in, when, in your smile piece was the Me Too movement. I just, I just wanted to, to hear your thoughts about that and, and, and um, just what, what you're thinking about the collective heart of women right now, because you're dealing with a lot of women's hearts over these last few years. And I'm sure in your work, a lot of these stories are starting to come up to the surface. Oh, and have been, have been for years before the Me Too movement was a thing. Why would I'm so blessed to, to get to experience is women talking to me and feeling safe enough to share. And so many of the stories that I heard were around sexual assault and abuse and rape. And um, I, what I think about the Me Too movement and women's voices is I am like, yes, war. It's time to war. It's time to say the things that we haven't been saying. It's time to be a voice for the voiceless parts of ourselves. It's time to share, it's time to bring that stuff, like you said, out into the light from the dark. Um, I've had so many Me Too moments um, in, you know, and there's obviously like levels to that. And, and I would say mine were pretty benign, but still caused um, a lot of pain for me. And um, yeah, I think, I think the pendulum has swung. I think we're finding our way as women as well. The because the pendulum swung so far to like, shh, don't tell anybody. You'll get fired. You'll get this. You'll be thought of as this and this and this. To like, oh fuck this. We're gonna just say everything we feel and like, you know, just be out there. And and I think we're trying to find. There'll be an equal, you know, but we'll, we'll shift back into like finding the right ways, the most aligned ways to speak. But I think right now we're in a time of like, we're just roaring. We want to roar. Right. It's important. And I feel the collective tears. I feel the collective pain, but I also feel the collective fire and it's awesome. I'm so excited. 
for that piece of it. That's great. Yes, yeah. the collective fire. I love that. So you have also been married through most of all these experiences. So tell me about bumping up against the heart of your husband. Like you were married when you were stripping, were you not? Yep. Oh yeah. yeah. Was, so I've been with my husband for 21 years. What? what? <laughs> Congratulations. Bravo. Um, thank you. Yeah. That's something. That is, is something. something big. That is a big, beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we met each other when we were really young and he, when he met me, I was dancing. It wasn't a thing that I introduced halfway into our relationship. And we both had a lot of growing, growing up to do. And we were both really rebellious. The other piece of dancing was that it allowed me to have space and time for my art because I wasn't working every day. And so it caused at first no drama and then a lot of drama in our relationship. And uh, it took years to, to work through it. I mean, there are so many layers to this. My husband was also working through his own stuff and his own wounds. And this is nothing that is a secret. He talks about having his own, he, his father wasn't around and he had a lot of father wounds come up in our relationship. And so he was working through a lot of dark stuff and I was working through my stuff and we just were really friends, best friends, and we're able to stay together and be devoted to the partnership. Um, it wasn't easy. I don't think it's ever easy to stay with someone for 21 years, especially when each person is growing and transforming and, and yeah. you're so young when you get together that, that it, it was hard. Um, but we have a lot of love and we have a lot of, I feel we have a sacred contract to be together in this lifetime. So that's beautiful. No. And it sounds like you're both committed to transformation, which is if one partner is not committed to transformation, it's, it makes it hard. It, that, I don't, yes. I just got this image of like, um, flowing down a river, right? Like you can flow down the river to get the river of transformation together. If one of you leaps out onto the, <laughs> onto land, yep. you can't back up. And go. And that, you know, that happened in periods of our relationships in our relationship for sure. Like right. somebody would be swimming and flowing down the stream and somebody would be like hanging on to a tree for dear life. It's yes. like, I uh, do not want to let go of this route. I will not let go of this route. Oh yeah. Plenty of moments. <laughs> yeah, that's why I say bravo. And also when you meet young, I just don't, I mean, that is, that is extraordinary to meet so young because we're working out our, stuff with our parents in the, in that, in those, in our twenties and, and, uh, and our thirties, like, yeah, yeah, it took a, it took a long time and we've gone through seasons and I was just sharing with a girlfriend today. I'm so happy that we are together because there's so much depth and so much understanding. Um, we've gone so deep in staying mm. together. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that we did stay together. That's bravo. Again, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> so, so tell people, tell us where people can find you and, um, and tell me is dirty me divine, which I have not seen. Is that coming back around? Are we going to be 
or can I see it somewhere? Yeah, I hope so. Well, I shouldn't say that. Yes, I'm <laughs> going to create this. Uh, I want to take it to New York and I'm looking at late April and then bringing it back to California. So I'll let you know. Um, so yes, yes, yes. It's just doing all the things and planning. Yeah. Yes, it'll be out there. Uh, we do have a show. What you saw was actually the misbehaving experience. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. Please forgive fine. me. Can you, okay. So I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. No, I kind don't, of knew that. Fine. So explain what misbehaving is and explain what she takes the stage as, please. Yeah, it's really similar. So that's probably why you got confused. So she takes the stage is a program where I take women through the process of writing and sharing their personal stories and they do get on stage and basically the misbehaving experience is, is women that have been in She Takes the Stage or have worked with me in some shape or form. And um, it's a little bit less hands-on. It's not a program. They're, they're, we go, we do the, I produce it and we go into a theater and we're performing consistently together. So they're, it's similar. But She Takes the Stage is an actual program, whereas misbehaving is, it's a, it's a live experience that we're doing together. And yeah, that's the one I missed. And that's why it's in my brain because you recently had one and Carol, yes! Woodliffe, our mutual friend, yes! Carol Woodliffe was in it and I missed it because I had a, I had a conflict. Um, so that's why it was in my brain. So, okay. Now that is crystal clear. Thank you for that. And your um, website is christinadunbar.com. They can find out all of this at Christina Dunbar and that's C-H Christina Dunbar.com. Anything else you want to? No, just if anything is speaking to you, please reach out to me or share any, you know, any thoughts around storytelling that come up for you. You can DM me on Instagram. I just am curious what these conversations are bringing up for people. And I'm really wanting to just lean in and commune with community as much as possible this year. I'm feeling like I have the energy to do that. And yeah, that's it. Did you choose, you know, the thing that's going around right now, the choosing three words for your year? Mm. Did you do that? Um, I chose creative, prosperity, fierce expression, which has been one of my phrases mm. for a long time. And communion is one of mine. Yeah. Beautiful. What about you? Well, one of mine was partnership and it just uh, occurred to me that even when you just invited people, I just had this image of somebody reaching out to you and just being heard by you. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is a form of partnership is, you know, just even the exchange of a story, even via email, even if you don't talk in person or talk on the phone, it's like, so partnership is one of my words and I'm just kind of exploring all the different ways that I want partnership to show up because I've been, Last year, my book came out in January and I kind of just, I, I, I had some support, but I didn't have enough support for the year mm -hmm. to really keep the fire growing and tending the fire and mm -hmm. helping me protect the fire when the winds came. Like I needed more hands to help me protect yeah. the fire during the year. Oh. And I, not that people weren't available or, you know what I mean? I just didn't. I was just in such kind of chaos, like, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that. Oh, I got to do this. So last year was a year of, oh, I got to do this, which was just a little bit chaotic. And this year I'm committed to, I'm doing a lot more meditation each day. And because if I don't stay incredibly centered, I don't know what I got to do. So 
so the meditation is one piece, but bliss through meditation, that, that whole thing sets me up, but the partnership thing, you just, um, you just reminded me of it actually at a, a bunch of different junctures in this, in this interview that partnership is so powerful in all the forms from, because the way you invited people just now to reach out to you was so beautiful. It was so from your heart, you know, not everybody that's saying, yeah, DM me. You know, it's not generally such it's, you did it with such a great open heart and that creates a space for somebody to step in and, you know, you're reaching out your real hand and saying, I'll hold your hand and listen to you if you need to be heard. And that's the beauty of your work and who you are on the stage and off the stage, on and off the stage. That is the beauty of who you are is this giant open heart and say, and reaching out and saying, hold my hand right now. We're going to go through this journey together. And, or do you need me to help you get through your journey? <laughs> you know, that's who you occur to me. Does that mm. resonate with you? Yes. Thank you. I, 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 I want to add that so many people have supported me with particularly with Dirty Me Divine, it started with a Kickstarter, which is a funding campaign to fund, right, different art projects. And if I hadn't raised that money, I was so terrified to reach out for help. And I would, I feel like I would be bugging people and I'd ask the same person over and over if I didn't hear back. But I, it was such a practice of asking and then receiving and feeling so many women step in and be like, yes, I've got you. I'm going to support you. And, and, so yeah, that is really important for us to be able to ask for help for the things that are on our heart. Yeah. That's beautiful. What a beautiful way to end this. <laughs> <laughs> ask for the love. Ask for the love. <laughs> ask for the love. Yeah, baby. Because it's there for the taking. And it's delicious. <laughs> Thank you, Christina, for starting the year off in such a beautiful way for the Superhero of Love podcast. Mm. Thank you so much for having me. This is so special. I love it. And I love what you're doing. And I love the heart that you're touching. And the story that you're bringing That was Christina Dunbar. Check her out at christinadunbar.com. And if you like this podcast, please go rate, review it, subscribe to it, tell your friends about it, tell everybody on the planet Earth about it. We need more superheroes of love in the fold, right? Have a great day, superhero.